When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. I hope everyone is doing well. Let me start off by apologizing for publishing this episode a little bit late, but trust me when I tell you the content is much better because of that. We've got a really fun episode for you today, though. As always, in part one, we'll start with the news around Serie A, Europe, and Napoli. In part two, we'll preview Napoli's first match, which is the second leg of their Coppa Italia semi-final tie against Inter on Saturday. And in part three, we'll conclude our transfer rumor series by looking at the midfielders that have been linked to the club in recent weeks. Getting right into the news, on Monday there was a meeting of the Federal Council, and one of the decisions that was made at the meeting was whether a playoff or a playout would be used, which was taken to a vote. 18 council members voted in favor of the playoff playout, while only three voted against it, and not surprisingly, those three were the three representatives from Serie A, being Beppe Marotta, Claudio Lotito, and Paolo Dalpino. Apparently, Gravina asked them to submit a proposal to FIGC to review describing how the playoff would be structured, Lotito and Delpino went silent before Marotta said that Serie A is against the idea of a playoff and therefore will not submit a proposal. So Gravina responded coldly, fine, then I will decide. FIGC has issued an official statement explaining how the standings will be determined if there's a definitive stop to football because of COVID-19, and that's being referred to as an algorithm. I'll tell you what the formula is and then I'll explain it using Napoli as an example. I think When people hear the word algorithm, they think this is some complicated process, and even the formula looks pretty complicated, but it's actually quite simple. So the way it works is each team's point total would be calculated as the sum of their current points 
there are average points in their home matches applied to the remaining number of home matches and the average points in their away matches applied to their remaining away matches. So there's three components. And since we're simply doing addition, the order doesn't really matter. So the first one is pretty basic. It's the current point total. So for Napoli, that's 39 points. Next, you have to look at the home matches. So Napoli has played 13 home matches and have a home record of 5 wins, 2 draws, and 6 losses for a total of 17 points. That means Napoli averages 1.31 points per home match. If they've already played 13 matches at home, then Napoli have 6 home matches remaining. So we multiply the average points per home match by the 6 remaining matches, and that gives you 7.86, which is the point total that would be allotted for the remaining home matches. The third component is the exact same exercise we just did, except for away matches. So Napoli has an away record of 6 wins, 4 draws, and 3 losses, which means they have collected 22 points in 13 matches. That's an average of 1.69 points per match. So for the remaining 6 away matches, Napoli would be allotted 10.14 points. And the last step is to add it all together. So 39 points that they already have, 7.86 points allotted for the remaining home matches, and 10.14 points allotted for the remaining away matches, which gives you a final point total of 57 points. If you were to do this math based on the current standings, not much would change. The top six clubs would remain exactly as is. There would be a little bit of shuffling in the middle of the table, most notably with Milan dropping two positions to ninth behind Verona and Parma, and the bottom five in the table remain unchanged as well. There are also a number of tiebreakers in the event of a tie, but I'm not going to bore you with that. Is this an overly complicated approach? Absolutely. If you were to take the average points per game without waiting for home and away matches, you'd get pretty much the exact same standings. Moving on, FIGC issued a press release regarding the transfer periods. The quote-unquote summer transfer window will be from September 1st to October 5th, and the winter transfer window will be from January 4th to January 31st. I assume this is something that the various football federations are talking to each other about to ensure that the transfer windows in each of those leagues line up. Sky Sport is reporting that the FA is discussing a proposal to move the transfer window in Britain from August to October. In Serici, the top teams in each division, being Monza, Vicenza, and Regina, have been promoted. The bottom teams, Cozzano, Rimini, and Rieti, have been relegated. And a playoff and playout will be completed to determine the fourth promotion and relegation clubs. The FIGC has also formalized the definitive end of Serie D. The top club in each of the nine divisions will be promoted to Serie C. And one of those clubs is Palermo, which is nice to see. Moving on to Europe, Deloitte has released its annual review of football finance for the 2018-2019 season. Revenues across the top five leagues have increased. All of European football made 28.9 billion euros in revenue in the 2018-2019 season, and the big five leagues accounted for 59% of that, which is 17 billion euros. The EPL earned 5.85 billion in revenue. 1.6 of that came from sponsorship and commercial, 3.5 from broadcasting, and 750 million from match day revenues. La Liga moved back into second place on the list with 3.38 billion euros in revenue. A billion of that is from sponsorship and commercial, 1.8 billion from broadcasting, and half a billion from match day revenue. The Bundesliga is in third on the list, just slightly behind La Liga at 3.35 billion in revenue, and that consists of 1.3 billion in sponsorship and commercial, 1.5 billion in broadcasting, 
and half a billion in match day revenue. And more than likely, the Bundesliga will go back into second place next season because they resumed football sooner than anybody else this year. Serie A was fourth on the list at $2.5 billion in revenue, $750 million in sponsorship and commercial, $1.5 billion in broadcasting, and $284 million in match day revenue. And that drop-off in match day revenue compared to the other leagues is largely attributed to the stadium situation in Italy where very few clubs actually own their own stadiums and the fact that many of these stadiums need to be redeveloped. Finally, in France, Ligue 1 earned $1.9 billion in revenue consisting of 800 million euros in sponsorship and commercial, 900 million in broadcasting, and 200 million in match day revenue. Now, anyone who studied finance or business knows that revenue is a terrible gauge for success because as good as some clubs are at making money, some of them are even better at spending it. The ultimate measure of success is profit, so let me quickly cover that for each league. England made a profit of 934 million euros, Spain made 445 million euros, which is largely attributed to the success of Barcelona and Real Madrid. Germany made 394 million euros. Italy recorded an operating loss of 36 million euros, and a lot of that has to do with significantly higher wage costs. Of Serie A's 2.5 billion euros in revenue, over 70% of that went towards paying player wages. Finally, Ligue 1 recorded an operating loss of 306 million euros which is the 12th consecutive season recording annual losses. So you can see why some of the French clubs are eager to restart the French league, even though it was already canceled. So that's a pretty interesting report. I'll share a link to that on Twitter after the episode posts. Before I get to the Napoli news, I'll provide a quick update on the state of the top five leagues, which is mostly positive. In England, the EPL is set to resume on June 17th. A number of squads have played inter-squad matches or friendlies with other teams in preparation for the restart of the campaign. Manchester United played an inter-squad match between two clubs, one led by Harry Maguire and the other by Bruno Fernandes. Newcastle tied itself 1-1 and Joe Linton, or as the French say Joe Linton, finally got on the score sheet. Chelsea also played an in-house game on Saturday and Liverpool have played a series of short 11v11 matches as well. Arsenal thrashed Charlton 6-0 at the Emirates, so I'm sure they feel great about that. And Aston Villa played a closed-doors friendly against West Brom, who are second place in the championship, which finished 2-2. In Spain, La Liga is set to resume on Thursday, starting with the Sevilla Derby between Sevilla and Real Betis. And in Germany, the Bundesliga continues to roll on without any major COVID issues. They've now completed 30 out of the 34 match days. Bayern looks set to win yet another Bundesliga title with a 7-point advantage over Dortmund, but the league is still very competitive below that. Leipzig are in 3rd place with 59 points, only 4 points behind Dortmund, and Borussia Mönchengladbach are tied with Leverkusen in 4th with 56 points, so that should be a fun race for the final Champions League spot. Finally, Liga is still cancelled, despite a few clubs' appeals to restart the league, most notably from Olympique Lyonnais. Moving on to Napoli, CIES Football Observatory published its latest transfer value list for the top five leagues post-COVID-19. Napoli's highest-ranked player on the list is Fabian Ruiz at 81 million euros, which is eighth amongst all midfielders. Alex Meret cracked the top 10 list of goalkeepers at 35.7 million euros, slightly ahead of Gigio Donnarumma, which is a little bit shocking to me. 
In other news, Gazzetta is reporting that Reno Gattuso will sign a contract extension until 2022 at 1.5 million euros per year. Eniel Matino is reporting that Gattuso has been very influential in convincing certain players to stay at Napoli, including Mertens and Insigne. Gazzetta reporting that Gattuso has seven untouchable players, who are Di Lorenzo and Manolas at the back, Demis, Zielinski, and Fabian in the midfield, and Insigne and Mertens up top. Rise Giovanni Scotto is reporting that Napoli and Jose Callejon have reached an agreement to extend his contract to August 31st, and I tend to believe this report. Last episode, we talked about Juntoli's interview with Sky Sport Italia, where he talked about Callejon's history with the club and how one way or another, there won't be any issues with the Spaniard playing the balance of the season. Finally, La Repubblica is reporting that Wednesday was the deadline to pay the players May salaries after March and April's wages were frozen. This was certainly an opportunity for De Laurentiis to start mending relationships with the players, and he did make an appearance at Castel Volturno on Wednesday, and it's believed that this visit was in part to speak to the players about wages. So that'll do for part one. In part two, we'll preview Napoli's Coppa Italia match versus Inter. Only a few days away now from the return of Calcio, which will start with the second legs of the Coppa Italia semi-finals. Milan will play Juventus on Friday the 12th, and Napoli will play Inter on Saturday the 13th. For a second there, there was some doubt as to whether these matches would even be played. On Wednesday, the Italian Minister of Health, Roberto Speranza, made an awfully peculiar comment in Senate. He said, The Serie A Championship will resume on the 20th and 21st of June and we are already oriented to authorize the semifinals of the Coppa Italia, suggesting that these dates that everyone is gearing up to play and watch are not yet approved. But then on Thursday, Speranza confirmed that the Coppa Italia indeed will resume on Friday. He also confirmed that the games will be played at 9pm. Since we have listeners all over the world, let me quickly run through the local start time. In Toronto, Canada, or New York, Rhode Island, or Virginia in the U.S., which is Eastern Time, that's 3 p.m. For people on the West Coast, like British Columbia, Canada, or California, USA, the matches start at noon. In Mexico, the game is at 2 p.m. In Brazil, it's at 4 p.m. Germany, Switzerland, France, Spain, Belgium, Netherlands, and Poland are in the same time zone as Italy, so 9 p.m. for them. In the UK, Ireland, Israel, and Ukraine, the match will be at 8 p.m. In Saudi Arabia, it's at 10 p.m. In South Korea, it'll be at 4 a.m. on Sunday and in Australia, it will be at 5 a.m. on Sunday. Before I get into this match, let me do a quick recap of the first leg for those who maybe didn't watch it or don't remember. I rewatched this match about a month and a half ago when we had Alex Dono on the show, and it was pretty stressful to watch the match. It was one of the first matches that we saw Gattuso play in ultra-conservative style. I rewatched this match about a month and a half ago when we had Alex Dono on the show, and it was pretty stressful to watch. It was one of the first matches that we saw Gattuso play in ultra-conservative style. The game plan was essentially to defend and counter, which we saw Napoli employ again in the Champions League against Barcelona. 
Gattuso would have been perfectly content with a nil-nil draw to San Siro, as then Napoli would only need a win at the San Paolo to advance. When Napoli were not in possession of the ball, they almost always had 10 men behind the ball, which really frustrated Conte and Inter's attack. And I know a lot of people were critical of this strategy, but the players could not have executed it any better. I personally have no issues with it at all. The goal is to win, and in this case, the goal is to win the tie, not each match. I don't have a problem with identifying your opponent's strengths and combating them. Also, I think football fans and sports fans in general want to see goals, or in other sports, they want to see touchdowns, home runs, three-pointers more than ever before, which is fine, but I still enjoy seeing a solid defensive performance. I have a certain fondness for the tactical battle and how disciplined the players were in holding their positions. Inter really struggled to create any dangerous opportunities until much later in the match. Napoli also executed well on the counterattack. Fabian Ruiz scored an absolute stunner of a goal in all senses of the word. He played a quick 1-2 with Di Lorenzo, dribbling along the face of the 18-yard box towards the left wing, and he was actually running slightly away from the goal when he wrapped his left boot around the ball and fired it past an outstretched Daniele Padelli. And it wouldn't have made a difference if Handanovic was in goal, no one was stopping this shot, and as it turned out, that was the only goal of the match. So Napoli head into the second leg with a one-goal lead. Like I said, the match will be played in Napoli, but as we know, it will be played behind closed doors, so there will be no fans in attendance, and Inter will definitely benefit from that. This will not look like the San Paolo, it will not feel like the San Paolo, and even the turf has been replaced, which that actually pissed me off a little bit when I read about this, and the fact that Napoli were debating whether they should train at the San Paolo on Friday for fear of ruining the turf for Saturday's match. Now, I know that the country was on lockdown, so maybe the groundskeepers were not able to work, but you're telling me the pitch cannot be replaced after the season ended? More than likely, Napoli will play seven matches at home before the end of the season, six in Serie A, and this one in the Coppa Italia semifinal. If Napoli reaches the final of the Coppa, that will be played on neutral ground, and if Napoli advances to the final eight of the Champions League, in all likelihood, the final eight will be played on neutral ground as well, even if it wasn't, and even if Napoli still had two legs, and even if they made it all the way to the finals, that would only add two more home matches. So the club has a maximum of nine home matches remaining, and they go replace the turf. I'm obviously not a manager, but wouldn't you want to train as much as possible in an empty San Paolo just to get comfortable playing in that environment? I feel like the club negated the only possible home field advantage they could have given these conditions. Anyway, I'll stop ranting about the turf. There are still a number of reasons to expect Napoli to at least earn a draw, if not win this match outright, which in both cases would see the Azzurri through to the final. So first of all, Inter have a very busy schedule. They're one of eight teams who have a game in hand, and Inter will play theirs on June 21st. I've previously talked about how Inter probably suffered the most with this schedule because they're alive in the Coppa Italia and they have a game in hand. So they're basically going to be doing what everybody else will, but starting a week earlier. And because of that crazy schedule, at one point Inter were threatening to play their Primavera squad in this match. Unfortunately for Napoli, it doesn't look like that's actually going to happen, which makes me wonder if that was just posturing in the hope of getting the schedule changed. And I actually do want Inter to play their first squad in this match because if Napoli managed to win the cup, which is by no means a foregone conclusion even if they reach the final, the last thing I need to hear is for Interisti or anyone else for that matter discrediting this trophy because Inter played their Primavera squad in the second leg. Now Inter's game in hand is against a weaker opponent in Sampdoria, but I do think it's a match that Inter will not take lightly. 
A win in that match would reduce Juve's lead over Inter to 6 points, which pre-COVID might have seemed out of reach, but post-COVID, that deficit no longer feels insurmountable. But what that means is Conte will need to be extra careful in managing both the players' workload and their mindset. And by that I mean they'll have to put aside the distraction of the upcoming Serie A match and competing for the Scudetto and focus only on this match, which I think is easier said than done. Napoli, on the other hand, can focus squarely on this match. Unlike Inter, the schedule worked out quite favorably in that Napoli's priorities are dictated by the schedule. They're out of the Scudetto race, and they're a fair distance back of Champions League, so come June 13th, Coppa Italia is Napoli's number one priority. Now, Napoli will have to manage their workloads to avoid injuries, but perhaps to a slightly lesser extent, and I think Napoli will be able to play their best starting 11 for just a little bit longer than Inter will. One thing that Inter could do to reduce their workload is to change their formation from their usual 3-5-2, which is a very physically demanding style of play, particularly for the wingbacks. And there's been a lot of talk about Conte using a 3-4-1-2 formation. But the reality is this change in formation is not so much about reducing workload at all. Rather, it's about incorporating Christian Eriksen into the lineup, which I actually think is a wise move, and most Interisti probably wish Conte did this sooner. Given that Inter enter this match down a goal, inserting Eriksen should help bolster an already potent attack. Eriksen will add another level to the transition from the center midfielders Barella and Brozovic to the attackers Lukaku and Lautaro. He's definitely more creative than Bacino, who he'll likely replace in the lineup, and coming from the EPL, I'm sure he's sturdier and less injury prone than Sensi, who would be another option in that role. And while he can distribute the ball, he's also a goal-scoring threat in his own right, both in live play and on free kicks. I also suspect that Conte is expecting Gattuso to employ the same shutdown approach that he did in the first leg and against Barcelona in the Champions League, which frustrated both Inter and Barcelona, so this could be Conte's way of countering that. Finally, Eriksen did play in the first match. He was subbed on in the 66th minute and had an impact, so this move seems to make a lot of sense to me. But what that means is Inter will be playing a physically demanding style. The two wingbacks, Ashley Young and Antonio Candreva, are both up there in age, so I think Conte will have to use his extra substitutions on them. I know these players haven't played in a while, so they should have plenty of fuel in the tank, but there's no training like actual gameplay, and again, Conte needs to manage their workloads because there is still a lot of football to play. So to me, that'll work against Inter. Biragi and Victor Moses are probably next in line. D'Ambrogio has played in that role and Asamoah is back, but other than a substitute appearance in December against Roma, he hasn't played a full match since October, so I think all four of these guys are a bit of a downgrade for Inter. I also think that while the change in formation might be minor, this could still mess with Inter a little bit, or at least take some time to get used to. Inter has played the same 3-5-2 in all but three matches this year, so I'm curious to see if it works, and if not, how long Conte will wait before reverting back to the 3-5-2. So with all of that, here's my projected starting 11 for Inter. I have Samir Handanovic starting in goal. Not that Inter would start Padelli anyways, but he's suspended. There was some doubt about Stefan de Vrij and Alessandro Bastoni, but it appears that they are both fit to play, and they will be joined by Martin Skriniar on the back line. As mentioned, Ashley Young and Antonio Candreva will be the wingbacks, with Brozovic and Barella playing in the middle. Eriksen will play in the Trek Artista, behind Lautaro and Lukaku. 
For Napoli, I expect David Ospina to get the starting goal. We've talked a bit about the keeper situation on the pod. I think Ospina will remain the first choice until the end of the season and then Meret will return to the number one. If Napoli makes the final, then I think Gattuso will play a similar lineup, which means Ospina would play that match as well. And then I would expect Meret to play against Verona on the 23rd. I do have a theory that perhaps Gattuso will alternate keepers for the final 12 Serie A matches. That would mean that each keeper plays one match a week, which might even give them the same type of rhythm that they have in a normal season. At the very least, though, I expect Meret to play every third match. It's a luxury to have two starting keepers, so I think we need to take advantage of that. On the back line, Kostas Manolas will be out with his muscle injury, so Nikola Maksimovic will slide in at center back, and he will be paired with Kalidou Koulibaly, who I think will have benefited probably more than any other player on this squad from having this break. I think we're going to see the Koulibaly that we came to know and love from here on out, which means his value is only going to go up. That means De Laurentiis will only sell him if he gets the right offer, which is at least 100 million euros. Otherwise, he will remain at Napoli for another year. And while I'd love to cash in on him, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a world-class player remain on this squad, and you can probably still cash in on him at the end of next season, barring a major injury. Completing the backline will be Mario Rui and Giovanni Di Lorenzo as the fullbacks. Playing right in front of the backline in the Regista spot will be Diego Demme, and in the two attacking midfield positions will be Piotr Zelinski and Fabian Ruiz. The club has shown confidence in both of these players. Both are on Gattuso's list of untouchable players. Being in their early 20s, they're probably the future of this midfield. Zielinski should get a boost from his new contract, which should be announced soon, and Fabian should also be feeling pretty good knowing that the club will not sell him unless they get a ridiculous offer, and even then they still might not sell him. Up top, Lorenzo Insigne is another player that should be feeling good. He's really bonded with Gattuso during the break, and I have no doubt that Insigne will remain with this club until the end of his career. Another player that will do that is Dries Mertens, who I expect to start as striker. Mertens has also agreed to terms of an extension that will keep him with the club until the end of his playing career. And there is quite a bit of drama, at least in the papers with Milik and all the speculation that he wants a move to Juventus. Now, I don't think we've actually heard anything from Milik or his camp about this. It's all been in the media. But nonetheless, I think Mertens is the right choice here. And he will be playing against the club that was apparently really close to signing him. Rounding off the starting 11, I expect Jose Callejon to play on the right wing. Juntoli recently announced that Callejon will stay with the club at least until the new end of the season. They don't see any problems there. Politano is another option, but I'm still leaning towards Callejon to get the start. Speaking of renewals, another person who should feel pretty confident and feel that he has the backing of upper management is Gennaro Gattuso. All indications are that Gattuso's contract will be renewed for two or maybe even three years, and he absolutely deserves it. The players have really rallied behind him. I feel like there's a new bond, a new camaraderie that just wasn't there during the first half of the season. Gattuso was instrumental in convincing Mertens to stay and Zielinski to renew, and I mentioned his relationship with Insigne, so I think winning the Copa would be a great reward. In terms of the bookies, Napoli are favored to advance, which is probably because they have that one goal lead. As far as this match goes, both sides have the same odds to win, so there's no clear favorite. I'm going to pick a 1-1 draw with Mertens scoring for Napoli as a reward for his extension, and that would make him the outright top goal scorer in club history, and I'll give Lukaku a goal for Inter. So that's my preview for the Napoli-Inter Coppa Italia semi-final. 
In part three, we'll finish our transfer rumor series with the midfielder position. Okay, so the last few episodes we've been reviewing the latest transfer rumors for players who could potentially join Napoli. And so there are so many rumors out there, we broke it up by position. We did two segments on attacking players. Last episode, we covered defenders. And today, we'll close off this series with the midfielders, which fortunately has probably the fewest rumors of any position. And a common theme for midfielders, at least according to the papers, is that Napoli are looking to leverage their strong financial situation to take advantage of others who are more desperate for cash and therefore might be inclined to take a haircut. And again, big shout out to the at SSC Napoli news underscore Twitter page who reports just about any news out there about the club. I think we use pretty much the same sources, but it's very convenient to be able to just do a quick search on a player's name to get their latest updates. So let's start with an update on Frank Kessia. For anyone who's new to this podcast, we covered Kessia in greater detail in episode 12 in response to a question from our friend Eddie, so definitely check that one out. Since then, we've seen reports, including from French media outlet Le Dispoir, that Kessia's value has dropped all the way down to 13 million euros. Tuto Sports is reporting that Milan is willing to accept 25 to 30 million euros for both Kessia and Paqueta. I personally don't believe that. Way back on episode 1, we talked about how a potential swap deal could work, and we used Kessia as an example from an article published by Calcio Mercato. And in that article, Emanuele Tramacere talked about Kessia's valuation and that his unamortized value on his contract is about 13 million euros. So I find it hard to believe that Milan are simply looking to break even on this player. I know Milan's financial situation is pretty dire, but given his age and experience, I think they can definitely get more for Kessia. There have also been reports that Kessia could stay at Milan because he would fit well in Rangnick's system, which I don't know what to make of. I'm not a big fan of all these reports that make it seem like Rangnick is already in charge at Milan. As far as I'm aware, he's not. Speaking of dire financial situations, another midfielder that has recently been linked to Napoli is Roma's Jordan Vertu. Tutto Sport is reporting that Napoli are looking to take advantage of Roma's financial troubles by signing Vertu for 15 million euros and that Napoli would sign the Frenchman to replace Alan. Napoli did attempt to sign the player in January. His agent, Mario Giuffredi, is quoted as saying, At the time, there was no time to enter into a negotiation but I do not exclude that Jordan may land in Napoli next summer. I don't read too much into that, though that's exactly the type of comment an agent would make. Napoli went on to sign two other holding midfielders in January in Dem and Lobotka, so to me that makes this move less likely. And Vertu himself was recently quoted as saying that he's fine in Rome, he wants to stay there for a long time, and that he still has a lot to learn and improve upon. 
There are a few alternatives to Vertu. One of them is Cagliari's Nahitan Nandez. In mid-May, Nandez's agent Paolo Bentancur said that before COVID, the player and the club had agreed to terms on a new deal, which included a 38 million euro release clause. But since the contract is not signed, these terms are not reliable. Tutto Mercato is reporting that Napoli are negotiating with Cagliari to lower that release clause, and Corriere dello Sport claims that Cagliari would reduce it to 35 million euros, which I still think is way too high. Again, given that we already have two very good options in this position, I can't see why we would pay so much for a third. A cheaper option would be sporting Lisbon's Wendell. Different sources are reporting different valuations. I've seen 10, 20, and 30 million euros as the asking price, so again, 30 million euros is too high, and there are other options at that price. 10 million euros seems to make sense to me, or at least that's what Napoli is willing to pay given Sporting's financial issues. In the last few days, reports have surfaced from some fairly reliable sources that Napoli had joined Milan and Lazio in the hunt for Salzburg's Dominique Soboslai. On Tuesday, Gianluca Di Marzio reported that the first contacts have been made between Napoli and Salzburg and that the clubs have a very good relationship. Rai Sports' Ciro Venerato reports that Rai have received confirmation that Napoli are interested in the Hungarian, who is valued at 25 million euros, but that Milan have the slight advantage as they've been in discussions with Salzburg for a while now. And sure enough, on Wednesday, Soboslai scored a hat-trick against Sturm Graz in the Austrian league, so that's probably not going to help with his purchase price, and all three goals were really nice too. The last midfielder I want to talk about is Empoli Samuele Ricci. He was first brought to my attention by one of my favorite Napoli Twitter follows, Joey Cacavalle, in early April. Empoli's president Fabrizio Corsi told Tutto Mercato back then that Napoli had inquired about Ricci but that there was no negotiation. Milan have been heavily linked to the young midfielder as well, again because of the Ranić connection, but multiple outlets are reporting that Napoli are now in the pole position to sign Ricci. Supposedly, Empoli are looking to get 15 million euros for him, and Juntoli has offered 11 or 12 million euros. I'm all for pursuing Ricci. He'll be 19 years old in August, so he won't be competing with the existing holding midfielders. Rather, he'd be the succession plan. So that's the latest on possible midfielders. That's also going to do it for episode 17. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please, if you don't mind, take a few minutes to give us a rating on whatever platform you listen to and leave us a review as well. That's really helpful in promoting the pod. I also love to hear from our listeners, so please do continue to send us your feedback and questions on Twitter. I do this purely for my passion for this club and because I like to share my thoughts in a way that's unbiased. So the feedback, comments, retweets, and likes really motivate me to keep putting out new content twice a week. And speaking of which, our next episode will be released late Sunday, which means we'll have actual Calcio to look forward to and another match to preview, so definitely tune in for that. Finally, I have my latest article up on worldfootballindex.com, which goes over the different permutations of the Coppa Italia and how those results can then impact next year's Europa League qualification. But until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre.